Alright, 2 Peter chapter 2 is where we're at. And if you remember last week, uh, we, chapter 1, we kind of continued a theme that we see throughout the book of 1 Peter. And that is he's trying to get the people to live godly. Now, at the end of chapter 1, he has told them about their more sure word of prophecy that they have. He is letting them know that the scriptures that they have, that these things are absolutely, positively true that there is no reason to doubt them. We are guaranteed that what the Bible says is going to come to pass. We all know that, don't we? It's in the Bible, it, it is just a fact that the Bible is the Word of God. It's without error, and it's never wrong. Now, I mean, this is truth right here. Now, but here's the thing. We do have a devil that's out there, and the devil's just not going to stand by when we have this great source of truth and just do nothing. He's going to try to um, do whatever he can to distract from that truth. And what the devil likes to use, one of his main things that he uses, is false prophets. So when we go into chapter 2 here, we're not necessarily going into a whole new subject. We're kind of still on the same subject. And it's going to be very important that we remember that at the end of the chapter. But what he's doing here is he's just addressing the fact that even though we have this more sure word of prophecy, we can count on everything the Bible says, you got to understand there's going to be opposition. We're always going to, the truth's always going to have opposition. Truth's always going to win. It's always going to be truth, but it's always going to have opposition. So he starts out and he says, but there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And false prophets truly are the worst of the worst. You know, you don't get any more sorry than a false prophet. Because the, the damage that they do is a spiritual damage. It's an eternal damage. There's people out there that uh, they can do some physical damage to us. And those are bad people. But, you know, spiritual damage in reality is worse. And the consequences are much more long-lasting. So, in reality, if you want to figure out who the worst of the worst is, it's false prophets. But no doubt, there's no doubt about that. And it says, and, and so here Peter's saying is these false prophets too, they will be dealt with. And that's something we need to remember and always take comfort in that when you find out about a false prophet, you know, it's very natural for us to despise those people, to not like them at all. But you know what? Just mark it down. Take comfort in the fact God will deal with false prophets. Guarantee you he will. And then Peter goes on to give evidence and to show the character of God and how God's always worked to comfort us in the fact that just got, like God dealt with all these other people, he's going to deal with the false prophets too. False prophets are going to get what's coming to them. And it's, but in verse 2, it says, And many shall follow their pernicious ways. Unfortunately, false prophets are always going to do a lot of damage. They're always going to have a lot of followers. And it's very important that we understand the reason why they're going to have a lot of followers. But notice that word it uses. It says, many shall follow their pernicious ways. Now, we don't use that word a whole lot today, but it just means destructive. The ways of a false prophet are destructive. They will destroy your life. They will destroy souls. And it says that many are going to follow their pernicious ways. So people who follow these false prophets are going to be destroyed. Their lives are going to be ruined. And because these false prophets, because of their, uh, you know, because people followed them and they destroyed these people, these, because of them, it says, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. Something you got to understand about false prophets, they always speak some truth too. Every false prophet is going to have some things where they're right. And then what ends up happening, that false prophet, he gets up and he preaches a lot of these things that are right, that sounds really good. A bunch of people follow him. They're destroyed because of the error that he also teaches with them. And then everybody goes and they look at that false prophet and then they all bring up the things he says that are true and they make it all about them. And then if you, you know, if, you know like so, there's things that we agree with false prophets on, things that they're known for. You know, and then what, what do people do? They try to attach us to that person and almost make us ashamed of the truth. But that, why are they doing that? Because the devil, he's going to do whatever he can do to make the truth look bad. So he uses false prophets. He gets bad people 
that's going to say some true stuff, but they're also going to destroy a lot of people because of where they're wrong. And then nobody's going to talk about their pernicious ways. They're going to talk about the truth that they preach. They're going to bring up things where they were right. And then you're going to have a lot of cowardly Christians out there. Well, I don't want to be associated with that. So I'm going to get away from preaching that truth. No, don't let those people make you ashamed of the truth. Just preach a truth. And you won't call out their destructive, those, their, their pernicious ways and those destructive things. So uh, false prophets do a lot of damage. And they say things that are true, but they just make truth look bad. And it says, and through covetousness shall they with feigned words, feigned means imagine or invented, make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. So the thing about false prophets, they like to make up things. They like to come up with doctrines, teachings, whatever they can, so they can get something out of people. And this is why every cult leader that's out there, they always have some kind of like nugget of truth, supposedly, you know, they call it that, that you just can't get anywhere but them. You know, we, I am the exclusive person. I am the exclusive source for this great information that I have. And they do that because when it comes to common truths, you know, there's no money in that. You know, there's, there's no getting a following in that kind of thing. And these people are all about just getting a following so they can make merchandise out of people, so they can make money off people. And that's why, you know, every goofball internet character that's out there, they've always got that one weird doctrine that they like to focus on so much. What are they doing? They're trying to do something to distinguish themselves from everyone else so they can just kind of build that following for themselves. And then they'll take that one issue and they'll kind of just make it the biggest, most important thing in all the world. And the truth is, they're just trying to get a following. And it's not the most important thing in the world, but they'll, they'll make people think it is the most important thing in the world. But they're just trying to make merchandise of you. And again, he says, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. Now, you and I, we feel like God is sometimes just turning a blind eye to these people. He's not. God just doesn't deal with things in our time. And so, uh, you know, so knowledge, too, that can easily be possessed, so it doesn't benefit that false prophet financially. Or it doesn't help them get power. That's why they always got to put themselves out there as some kind of authority. That way, people... Uh, you know, if, if you teach people how to just study the Bible and read the Bible, then they might just use the Bible as their go-to. But you got to do something to show people, oh, oh, you need the Bible, but you need me too. Because, you know, truth is, I need you. You know, I need your money. You know, I need your, I need your devotion. And so, and this is why too, whenever you have these people, whenever they give you their list of approved sources, you know, it usually narrows things down to themselves or whatever they're in control of. I've been saying this a lot and I'll say it again. It's like when you, when they're drawing boundaries, when they're drawing their lines in the sand of how things are supposed to be, the shape in the outline is usually identical to them. Just kind of like, remember Alfred Hitchcock's famous silhouette and shadow they used to show all the time? You know, if Alfred Hitchcock was a preacher and he was drawing his lines of boundaries that you have to stay in, it would have looked just like that. And that's kind of how, that's kind of how people are. And, you know, and so, you know, let me just kind of give you a mock exaggerated version of this. So like if I'm up here preaching and, you know, I, could, I want to preach against false prophets. I want to preach against bad influence. You know, I got a lot of Bible on that too. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. Y'all need to walk, watch who you're listening to. Y'all better watch who you're getting counsel from. Today I'm going to preach on where you should get counsel. Point number one. You know what needs to be, from, you know, somebody who's KJV only. Hey, I agree with that, right? You better make sure they're good doctrinally. Make sure they're once saved, always saved. You know what? I wouldn't even go outside the IFB. You know, I think they need to be hymn singing. No 7-Eleven people. Soul winning. You know, I'm narrowing it down, aren't I? Must be, you know, pre-wrath. Ooh, that narrows it down even more. You know, I wouldn't listen to anybody that can't figure out the reprobate doctrine. You know, must live in the Midwest. Yeah. Must have eight kids to be qualified. Must have minimum 20 years 
experienced in church leadership with a title before you should ever, you know, just go along with what they say. And if that's not narrow enough for you, it must have the initials TM. Uh, <laughs> now, now, what am I doing? I'm drawing back. Now, now, most people are a little more subtle than that, okay? Most people are a little more subtle than that, but what am, what am I doing? I'm, I'm trying to narrow your focus to this, right? If, and if I can get enough people out there to believe that and follow those rules, you know, I, I can get a good following because I don't know if anybody else in the Midwest preaching all the things I'm preaching with eight kids, 20 years ministry experience. I, I, don't, and I, don't, I don't know anybody else like that. So, um, you know, the truth is, you know, that's a pretty self-serving attitude, isn't it? Now, uh, so, you know, and so people who do these kind of things that are just manipulating people to just kind of get that following, to be under their control, they're going to get what's coming to them. They're going to get it. Just mark it down. And then this is what we see here. He, Peter starts giving examples just to prove. All right. You think God's just saying this? Okay. Let's take a look at the his, at history and see if God just throws out empty threats. Let's see if God doesn't deal with people. Let's see if God doesn't judge or sin and he says in verse four for if god spared not the angels that sin okay god punished angels it says and cat but cast them down to hell and deliver them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment so he brings up the angels that sin why to show god's going to punish god's going to punish false prophets if he'll deal with angels that sin He'll deal with false prophets too. Now, if I may just kind of give you a little bonus point that doesn't really go along with the rest of the chapter. Let me just, I, I want to just share this with you because people will often use this verse to teach the Nephilim doctrine. Okay? Pretty much anyone who teaches the Nephilim doctrine, they will go to 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 4 and use it as a proof text. Now, let me show you why that is extremely dishonest. And I'm showing you this to just help expose these people uh, for the frauds that they are, or at least just the novices when it comes to studying the Bible. Because here's the question. What is, what sin is this? He mentions the angels that sin, what, but he, Peter doesn't tell us. Peter doesn't give any kind of clarification as to what this is. So what we have to do is, what we, or the only thing we can do is we would have to go somewhere in the Bible where it talks about angel sinning, and then we can assume Maybe it's talking about that, okay? So my go-to for that, because I can find one example in the Bible that I know for sure is an example of angels that sin, and that's in Revelation 12, okay? Now, not everything in Revelation in the future, because what we're seeing in Revelation 12, we're not going to preach you that chapter, is clearly something that's been going on throughout time. Because every since it was prophesied that the seed of a woman was going to bruise the head of Satan, Satan has been trying to stop that from being fulfilled. Satan did everything he could to stop the Messiah from coming. And in Revelation 12, 3, that's very, and chapter 12 is very symbolic. It says, And there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his head, and his tail drew a third part of the stars of heaven, and did cast him to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to be delivered, for to devour her child as soon as it was born. And I think that's a picture of Satan since he's just been waiting for the Messiah to destroy him. He's, that's what he's been doing throughout time. That's what he was doing throughout the Old Testament. Doing everything he can to stop that seed from coming. And you know what? He, he wasn't alone. He drew a third part of the angels with him. And so I believe this is a reference to something that probably happened in the beginning of time when, when Lucifer fell and he got a third of the angels to follow him. Now, I'm not going to use Second Peter 2 and verse 4 as a proof text of that because it does not give any evidence of that. Peter's just trying to show us if God punished the angels that sin, he'll punish false prophets too. Now, if you were to ask me, well, what do you think that was? Well, I personally think it's what we see in Revelation 12. But it doesn't flat out tell us that. And even if Genesis 6 is an example of angels sinning, then what gives it more credibility that it's talking about that event than the event that I'm talking about? It doesn't say, does it? So why would you use this for a proof text to teach an Ephraim doctrine? You can't, that's dishonest. That's eisegesis. You're reading what you want to into that text. So anybody 
that would go to Second Peter chapter two to advance the Nephilim doctrine. They're they're out of line for doing that. Now, if somebody, even if they believe the Nephilim doctrine, if you know if that was true, if the Nephilim doctrine was true, what they should still be honest enough to say is just, I personally believe that Peter is referring to this event, but he doesn't say one way or the other. But that's not what they do. They use this as further proof of their doctrine. And that is not right because he doesn't give us any specifics. So I don't want to preach about the Nephilim doctrine, but they should just say, I believe Peter is referring to the event of Genesis chapter 6. But I can't prove it. So don't use that verse. Okay, Don't use that verse. And if I want to teach about the fall of Lucifer, if I want to teach about the angels that sinned, okay, I shouldn't go to 2 Peter 2, 4 and dogmatically say, this was it and this is proof that I'm right. No, I just say, I'm, I assume this is what Peter is referring to because this is really the only uh, good example of angels that said I can find in the Bible. But at the same time too, I know there's other things too because we've got four angels bound in the great river Euphrates. What did those guys do? I don't know. I don't know. But you know, a lot of times we read things in the Bible that causes questions to come in our mind. You know what we don't get to do? Make up answers if it's not in the Bible. To make it fit other doctrines that we have. That's just dishonest. I can tell you this much. There's four angels bound in the great river of Euphrates. You know, must have done something. But I don't know. We can speculate all day. It's not proof of anything. So let's keep going. Verse 5 says, and spare not the old world. We're going to give it another example. Spare not the old world, but save Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. And the and that we are seeing here, it's not connecting events because some of these people try to say, well, this is proof too. It's something that happened in Noah's day because of the and here. No, this is another example. This is another example of God punishing sin. If God destroyed the world with a flood, what makes you think he's not going to punish sin? We see God takes this very serious. This is not connecting events. It's another example of judgment. And it wasn't judgment on angels because they were already put in chains of darkness. It says, where here, it says this judgment was on the ungodly. That's what it says here. So now verse 6, we got another and, because this is another example and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes. Condemn them with an overthrow, making them an ensample unto those that after should live ungodly. The example of Sodom and Gomorrah was not just for those in the Old Testament, but it was for people of all time that after should live ungodly. God feels the same way about sodomy today that He did back then. I'm not preaching on that tonight either, but this is a great verse to use when people want to act like, well, this is the New Testament now. Uh, Well, this is the New Testament too that we're reading. And Peter, he didn't say, when he's going back to all these examples, he's not saying, well, that was in the Old Testament. No, he's saying the fact that God judged these people in the Old Testament is proof he's going to do it again. So this is New Testament doctrine using Old Testament examples to prove that God is going to judge false prophets in this day, God still hates this stuff and he's still going and God is going to judge the world. God's going to judge this nation for all the perversion that we have promoted and ex- that has gone on. We are going to suffer and it might not even be in, during God's wrath. It could be before that. There is, God has every reason in the world to destroy America before any of the biblical events start taking place. And if he does, none of us should be surprised because... We have a God who has a history of judging sin. And when it's running rampant in a country like ours, you know, the only reason I can think that he's not is because, again, he's thinking about those righteous that are there. And that's why, man, we've got to get as many saved people in this country as possible to just preserve this thing. And that's the best way we can preserve this thing, getting some, getting some more people saved. Because notice what it says in verse 7, and deliver just lot vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them and seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptation and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment 
to be punished. Now, a couple things here too. Notice how um, Peter calls the deeds of the Sodomites unlawful. Did you know Leviticus 20.13 hadn't been written yet? The law hadn't been given yet, but Peter called what they did unlawful even back then. You know why? Because it was always an abomination. It was not a dispensational abomination. It was an abomination before the law, and it's an abomination today. So it's still, it's still unlawful in the eyes of God. I don't really care what our government says about it. I really don't care. Say, Pastor Tommy, do you despise our government? I'll, I'll let you, th- you know, think about the answer to that as we, uh, as we move on here, and we'll talk about that here in a little bit. So uh, Luke 17:28, because he mentions delivering just lot, lot. God knows how to deliver the ungodly. Luke 17:28 says, "Likewise, also as it was in the days of Lot, they did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they builded. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed." And I bring that up again because I saw another documentary talking about the days of Noah and the days of Lot, and then they start talking about all these other things. You know, point different. No, the same day. That's what it means. As in the days of Noah, as in the days of Lot, God gets us out and then he brings the wrath down. He drops the hammer. He delivers us. He drops the hammer on the world. That's what it means. Like God got Noah safe, then the rain came. God got Lot and his family out. Then the fire and brimstone came. One of these days, God's going to take us out and then judgment's going to come. That's, God, that's how God's always done things. That's God's character. We do not look at it in the days of Noah and start talking about Nephilim and then talk about all these labs where they're, you know, intermingling species and things like that. It's just like in the days of Noah. No, it's not. All right. Stop it. Okay. We're not in the days of Noah. If it is, then that means rapture's coming today. Because the day we go out, judgment comes. So stop saying that. All right. But verse 10. But chiefly they that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise government. Presumptuous are they, self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignities. Now, it's so important that we understand this verse because, again, this is going to this ties in so well with the theme of First and Second Peter, and this is going to help us understand a difficult passage later that people get confused on and try to use to teach you can lose your salvation. You've got to get a hold of this. Okay, this this really isn't complicated. The only reason a verse like this is complicated is because you listen to a novice with a self-serving agenda try to preach from this verse. That that that's the only reason you have any confusion on this. Okay, because here's the thing, Paul Peter has stressed over and over again the importance of how a saved person should stop living according to the lust of the flesh and should start living according to the Spirit. If you are going to live according to the Spirit, if you are not going to live according to the lust of the flesh, you have to put up safeguards and guardrails in your life. We need things governing us. Just like you put a governor on a truck so it doesn't go over a certain speed. The golf courses always put governors in the golf cart so you can't drive them too fast. You know what? We need government in our life to stop us from doing the things of the flesh. To stop us from going into lasciviousness. We need something to govern or restrain the sinful flesh of ours because if we don't, We are going to live just like the rest of this world. That's what it's talking about when it's talking about government. That's what it is. Government is a restrainer of evil. It's supposed to prevent evil. It's supposed to help keep people alive. And then they are supposed to punish those who actually do evil. Why? So we can put a stop to that evil. Because as a society, we we need restraint. As individuals, we need restraint. We all need government in our life. It is so important because we don't want to go into the flesh. And so what we can't do is isolate that verse, ignore the context, and then to try to teach not only should we go along with wicked leadership, but you know, to tell people that you shouldn't even think badly about that wicked leadership. Because you know, let me ask you this. 
Do we really think that people like Biden, Harris, Pelosi, Mitt Romney, J.B. Pritzker, do we really think we shouldn't despise these people? I mean, you can't get any more repulsive than these people. I mean, are you going to tell me, are you going to go, if you hear me just saying nasty things about Nancy Pelosi, are you really going to go to 2 Peter chapter 2, where it talks about those who despise government, and tell me, shame on you, you're violating that passage. I mean, are you, are you going to tell me, when I look at our, our nation, and, and our, our Senate, and our Congress, and these people passing these pro-abortion bills and things, that I'm just supposed to look at those people and not have just disgust in my heart? I, that just doesn't really make sense to me. And you're going to use that verse? Because notice who these people are that he's talking about here. Okay, the, the bad people that he's talking about here in Second Peter 2. He's talking about a people who walk after the flesh, the lust of uncleanness. And while most of us all have things to govern us and keep us in control, these people don't. These people don't. You see, government, another definition is control or restraint. The exercise of authority. The exercise of authority by parent or householder. And let me tell you, we should be for the authorities and the powers that God has ordained, and we should obey them. But you know what? Those people don't get to make up new powers and authority. And it's not their job. God never, God did not make government to restrain good works. He made it to restrain evil works. If they're restraining good works, that is not government, ladies and gentlemen. That's not government. That's not what God ordained. That's wrong. That's wicked. The same people who like to bring this up, they forget the Apostle Paul spent a lot of time in jail. He spent a lot of time being punished for violating laws. But these were those laws that he violated were ones that were laws that nobody had a right to make. But yet they did it anyway. Why? Because they had the power during that time. And it was wrong. And we don't have to follow these things. And so some of us, you know, one day we fell in love with a woman. We wanted a physical relationship with her. And while much of what a person man desires when he finds that woman he loves, you know what? Some of what we desire is sensual. So you know what we all, you know what I used? I used government. Okay, what does that mean? I had rules for that relationship. We had restrainers in our life to protect us, to keep us from those things. And then before we gave in to the sensual desires, we made sure we went and made vows first. We got a marriage license. We went, we got married, and we made a promise that what was going to take place on our honeymoon we were never going to do with anybody else as long as either of us were living. You know what that's called? That's called government right there. That we, that's, that's called government. And we let things like this right here, like this ring on the finger, remind us of that. That you know what? We've made a vow. We've made a commitment. And these things are supposed to restrain us and stop us from doing things that our flesh might want to do sometime. But let me tell you, an example of a despiser of government is a fornicator, someone who doesn't interested in going through all those channels. They're not interested in getting married first. An adulterer. Adulterer is a great example of someone who despises government. They don't, they don't care about the rules. Okay, not, not somebody who wants to raise their kids as they see fit. You know, a church who wants to operate with Jesus Christ as the head of the church rather than the state. That is not a despiser of government, ladies and gentlemen. That is not a despiser of government. That's absolutely ridiculous. Despisers of governments are those who hate anything that is restraining their flesh from whatever it wants. And you want to know a great example, too, that you could find even in churches of despisers of government is those in leadership who want nothing governing them, telling them what to do. Unchecked power. Is what it is. And you do, you have people that are setting up these things where they're the boss, they're in control, 
Nobody can say anything. You know, we're not going to have church constitution. We're not going to have church bylaws. We're not going to have anything in the church where anybody could hold me accountable. I think you're the despiser of government. You literally have nothing restraining you. You have no checks and balances in church. Why? Why do you fear that? Why do you fear having some kind of accountability? Why do you fear somebody keeping an eye and multiple people keeping an eye on what's going on with the finances and things? Why, why do you have a problem with having some kind of process when it comes to these things? Why do you feel that you should just be able to go and however you see fit, that's how you're going to do things? I'll tell you why. You're a despiser of government. You don't want anything controlling you, restraining you. And folks, we all need those things. We need government. Why? To protect us from doing what this flesh wants. And anybody who just can't handle that who can't have anything restraining them, they are the despisers of the government. Not a church and not a pastor who just wants to operate according to the Bible and who believes in the separation of church and state. Not someone who gets disgusted when elected representatives promote immorality. Okay, Again, fornicators, adulterers, this is an example of things that government is supposed to restrain us from. But we've got our government promoting sodomy. Okay? And I'm not supposed to despise that. Let's just like, see, I, I don't want the office of president to go away. I don't want the office of governor to go away. But you know what I do want? I want people in those offices that are decent people who respect our Constitution, who respect laws. That's what I want, I, who respect individual rights. I want people who will follow the rules and govern people to stop them from evil. I don't want a governor like J.B. Pritzker who keeps violating our state constitution and has to have judges step in all the time and stop him. I don't want somebody like that. I want a governor who governs according to the rules, not just somebody who does whatever he desires to do. And folks, look at the guy. He does whatever he desires to do. The guy has no control. The guy has nothing governing him. Nothing, nothing, he's got, he's put nothing in his life to govern him. Thankfully, we've got some judges and things that have been putting him in his place. And I love that. And he hates that. And he'll do everything he can to get rid of that. Why? Because he despises government. And because he despises government, you know what? I despise him. He's not doing what he should do. The Bible says in Romans 13, verse 3, For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Because that's what government does. They punish evildoers. They are supposed to create terror in the hearts of those that would hurt others. That's what they're there for. Wilt thou not be afraid of the power, but do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same, for he is a minister to God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain, for he is a minister of God, or avenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil." Let me tell you something. In the last couple of years, everything we saw going on with our government was pure evil. It did more damage than anything. They can talk about how noble they were trying to be and how they were trying to save lives. What they did violated all the rules. It was evil. They were wrong and we should not have supported it. We should not have supported it. It was, it was wrong. But verse 11, 2 Peter 2, Whereas angels, which are greater in power than might, okay, greater in power than might than those dignities, then those rulers, even though angels are greater than governors, presidents, kings, notice what it says, bring not railing accusations against them before the Lord. Okay? Now, just, now, first off, why does it even bring this up? Okay? Angels don't even bring railing accusations against them. Okay? Why, and why don't, you know, why can't we? I mean, I mean honestly, I mean... I mean, of course, Joe Biden's a reprobate, so we can say whatever we want to about him, right? Let me tell you something. The worst thing is to govern them, meaning slow down or prevent any evil that they're trying to do. And so for, again, some clown out there, some novice wants to try to compare us because we have a problem with the government the last couple of years. You know, let's just look at some, see if we can find any similarities, okay? Because the people that Peter is talking about, they despise, the, the people that despise government that Peter's talking about are people who hate those 
who are stopping them from giving their dirty flesh whatever it desires. That is crystal clear from the context of this passage. Then, but why do we get mad at government? We're mad at government because they're telling us we can't go to church. For trying to get us to follow cult-like protocols that signal submission to the new world order. That's why we're getting aggravated at them. Not because they're stopping us from fornicating or anything like that. They wouldn't care if we did that. As long as we wore a mask. They, you know, they even promoted that. They, they, they wouldn't care about that. You know, they're for, you know, they're for killing babies. That's why we despise them. For pushing lies like evolution. Any of these things we go after government for, you know, are because we are mad that they are, it's, it's not because we're mad. They're stopping us from giving our flesh whatever it wants. That is not the reason at all. So verse 13. So there's, there's no comparison there, folks. Anybody wants to use that, they are isolating that verse, taking it out of context, to use a phrase to promote their own agenda. That is, and that's a very wicked thing to do. And that's what false prophets do, folks. You know why? Because when they're looking at the Scriptures, they're seeing whatever they need to see to give their flesh whatever it wants. And that's not right. So it says, "...and shall receive the reward of unrighteousness as they that count it pleasure to riot in the daytime." Spots they are and blemishes, sporting themselves with their own deceivings while they feast with you, having eyes full of adultery and that cannot cease from sin, beguiling unstable souls and heart they have exercised with covetous practices, cursed children. So these are the things that those who despise government want to do. Say, not only are they super wicked, they want to deceive you into following their wickedness. They want to get you doing the things that government is supposed to be stopping you from doing. And look at, and then they give, they give an example here. Look at the example they give. It says in verse 15, which have forsaken the right way and are gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Bosor, who loved the wages of righteousness, but was rebuked for his iniquity. The dumb ass speaking with a man's voice forbade the madness of the prophets. Now let me ask you, what did Balaam do? What did Balaam do that was like these false prophets? You know, what, you know how, what he did? He got them to sin by committing fornication. He got them to go against government. He got them to go against those laws, and it was fornication. That was what they did to go against government. Again, our government does not care about that. They don't care about that. They're doing nothing about that. I mean, you can... Take another man's wife, whatever. They don't care, folks. They, they, there's no, they're doing nothing to restrain it. So, these false prophets are all about what they can get for themselves. So, verse 17 says, These are wells without water, clouds that are carried with the tempest, to whom the mist of darkness is reserved forever. And this is just a fancy way of saying they're basically good for nothing. And it says, verse 18, For when they speak great swelling words of vanity, they allure... Through the lust of the flesh. This is why they get people to follow them, folks. They, the reason people follow false prophets is because there's something that they have that their dirty flesh loves. You know, and maybe it's the, you know, a lot of this teaching today against any form of godliness and holiness that we're seeing going on. I can just go along, do what the world's doing, I live like everybody else. Maybe it's that kind of thing. You know, maybe some people, you know, there, you know there, there's always something. There's always some way. Maybe it's they're just trying to lift you up with pride. Hey, did you know even some of these places that put on a really good show of holiness? Did you know that's, it's flesh that makes us want to just be above everyone else? And, you know, and so even Amish people, folks, who have all kinds of things, you know, Pride could be, I'm not saying that they all have a pride thing going on, but you know what? Pride could lead someone to go that direction. And that's a part of the flesh too. But that's all, those are always the things. And whatever, whatever appeals to your flesh, folks, there's a false prophet out there somewhere that's selling what your flesh wants. And you need to just stay away from it. And so it says, uh, through much wantonness, those that were clean escaped from them who live in error. So while they, what they say is empty, it works because it sounds good and it 
is what their flesh wants. And it makes it easy. When your flesh wants it, it's easy to justify it. No matter how bad we want to lose weight, you can always justify a banana split somehow in your mind. Why? It doesn't matter if they put the calories on the menu. You can justify it. And, you know, why, why wouldn't you be able to? You know, how do you justify it? I mean, it's got a banana on it. There's fruit. Uh, you know, you know it's, got, it's got dairy. I mean, there's all kinds of ways. You know, it, a merry heart doeth good like a medicine. I'm happy when I eat one. I mean, folks, there's all kinds of ways that we can justify these things. So, um, you know, it's the same thing with bad doctrine, too, that appeals to the flesh. So it says in verse 19, While they promised them liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption, for of whom a man is overcome, of the same is brought in bondage. So they claim liberty, but it's a lie. These people are slaves to the flesh. Now watch this. For after they have escaped the pollution of the world, through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome. The latter end is worse with them than the beginning. For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. But it has happened unto them, according to the true proverb, the dog is turned to his own vomit again and the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. Now, this passage here is one that's often used to teach someone could lose their salvation. And let me tell you, we're seeing some pretty strong words right here, too. I mean, a dog returning to his vomit, a sow to her wallowing. I mean, good night. This is, this is some pretty strong language here. But let me tell you what I believe this, about this passage based on everything we've seen so far in 1 Peter, what we've seen so far in 2 Peter. Throughout these entire letters, Peter has been exhorting them to live for God instead of the flesh. Now, the fact that he needs to keep reminding them of this tells me that it is very possible for a saved person to fall from living like a Christian and to go back to living a life according to their old nature, according to the flesh. Because, folks, we still have the old man, don't we? We still have the old man. And while this is a strongly worded passage, I do not believe the dog returning into his vomit or the sound of the wallowing is about a saved person going to save from unsaved. Nor do I believe it's showing that they were just never really saved to begin with. Now, that's what some people teach. This is just showing they never really had it. These people that, you know, they were like us one day and next day they were back to their drinking and stuff. They obviously never really had it. The dog returned to his vomit. We saw their true nature, folks. That, that's not what that's saying. All right, because let's look, let's look at this again. Look at verse 18. For when they speak great swelling words of vanity, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through much wantonness, those that were clean escaped from them who live in error. Those who got their lives together and lived according to the will of God instead of the will of the flesh. Not everyone who gets saved gets their life on fire for God and on track. A lot of people continue struggling in sin. And that's why people need to get in church. You're just not going to get these things on your own, folks. We all need help in this area. Verse 19, while they promise them liberty, the, the false prophets are promising liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption, for of whom a man is overcome, of the same is he brought into bondage. This was the trendies of those days, crying out legalism. Whenever they were preaching that, you know what, you need to turn from a life of sin, that's work salvation. You know, you know that's legalism. Now, I'm not saying you've got to do these things to be saved. I'm saying if you're saved, you should live like a Christian. No, it's still all about the gospel. And you know what? It's, you, know, you need to just stop bringing that stuff up. You know what? That's, uh, that, yeah, it's still legalism. You know, you're promoting a way of life for saved people instead of just you know, talking about grace every day. And folks, it was going on back in that day too. This is the exact same thing. And these people that are out there today preaching against our crowd for, you know, preaching against sin, calling us legalists, out there talking about liberty all the time, they are just servants to the things of the flesh. First thing, and, and I see it all the time, people who knew the way of righteousness, they were doing things they were supposed to do, and then all of a sudden they discover, you know, that IFB is legalistic, and what do they do? They go get tattooed up like a savage as soon as they figure it out. They go get a mohawk. They start dressing like a queer. The woman starts dressing like a man. That's, that's the first thing that they do. And it's just like, you knew better than this. 
What happened? I tell you what, they followed a false prophet. And he got him to the, he got him through the lust of the flesh because let me tell you something, even in, in the, their biggest prey are people who grew up in the IFB. We grew up in the IFB. We were taught standards. We were taught separation. We were taught don't drink, don't smoke. We were taught don't do any of that stuff that everybody else is doing. But you know, the thing is, we still, even though we're saved, have the same flesh that everybody else in this world does. And so a lot, it's very easy for those of us who have not experienced those things to be deceived into thinking there must be something to it. Now, there's a lot of people in churches today who came out of that. They understand the deceitfulness of sin. Those people, they look at my generation that grew up around the things of God, and they're like, why would you do that? And it's the same reason you all did it in the first place. This is what our flesh wants. You don't want to do it anymore because you, you know better. You've got experience on both sides. And you know what? Thank God you came around on it. But let me tell you something. And let me tell you all you parents that are raising your kids in the IFB. One of these days, you're going to see your kids being tempted into doing some of the stuff that you got out of a long time ago. And you're going to be like, I didn't raise them to do this. What's going on? They're made out of the same flesh that you are. They're made out of the same flesh. And let me tell you, kids, you need to have faith to believe what the Bible says about this stuff. You've been taught the right way. You've been taught the way of truth. You've been taught the way of righteousness. And you need to stay in it. And let me tell you something. God blessed your parents who came out of that. God's given them a good life. God's given them victory because they didn't know any better when they did it. But let me tell you something. If you do that, you're in big trouble. It won't end. It won't end for you the way it did for your parents. It won't end with maybe a marriage being restored and becoming strong. It'll end with yours being ruined. That's what will happen to you. You know why? Because you knew better. And when you know and then you go away from it, your latter end's worse, folks. You're going to be way worse off. God bless your family. And they, 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 they yeah, a lot of times, well, you know, my parents, they did this and this and this, and they turned out okay. They didn't know any better. And God's been gracious to them. You know better, God's going to bring the hammer down on you. So watch, watch out for that. So verse 20 says, For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome. The latter end is worse with them than the beginning. So those who escape the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of Jesus are people who got saved and learned the truth of how to live, which is what Peter's been talking about in First and Second Peter. And then they went back to their old ways, knowing the truth. They learned what the Bible says about alcohol, but they went back to drinking. They learned what God thinks about fornication and adultery, and they went back to that. that that's not going to be good. Now, people get confused because in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 2 says, Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according as his divine power has given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. And so here when it's talking about the... Uh, all things that pertain to life and godness. This isn't talking about salvation here. This is talking about the things that we need as Christians to live a godly life. And Jesus Christ has given us these things. Now, not everyone who is saved immediately has those things. Those things are available if they'll read their Bible. Those things are available if they get into a church that preaches the truth, but they're not automatically going to have those things. But let me tell you something. People who get themselves a Bible, they read that Bible, they get in a church, they hear the truth. God has given them all those things that pertain to life and godliness. If you go to this church, you have what you need for life and godliness. And let me tell you something, don't walk away from it. Don't, do not walk away from it. You're now accountable. Verse 21, for it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they had known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. This is not saying we would have been better off not being saved. That's not what this is saying. Not everyone who is saved knows the way of righteousness. So that person who maybe they're saved, but they, they don't really know any better. They're, they just haven't been taught anything. You know, God's not going to be as hard on them when they're in sin than he is one of us that know better. Because to whom much is given, much is required. And, you know, somebody like myself who grew up in a preacher's home, who was around good preaching his entire life, 
If I'm going out and doing some of the stuff other people are doing, God's going to be so much more upset with me than he is some kid who grew up in a terrible home, went to a public school, wasn't taught the truth. Even if that person's saved, God is going to be so much harsher to me than he is them. And it make, it, that makes perfect sense. So verse 22, but it happened unto them according to the true proverb, the dog is turned to his own vomit again. Why does the dog do that? It's in his nature. Why does the sow go to the wallowing? It's his nature. Why do saved people go to lasciviousness and the things of the flesh sometimes? Because it's the nature of this stuff. That's the nature. And you know what? It can happen to us. We need to understand it can happen to us. Yes, you're saved, but that does not mean you'll never be a drunk or a drug addict. It can happen to you, and you need to understand that and you know what you need to do? You need to get close to God. You need to put up some guardrails in your life. You need to have government in your life. Peter would not have warned us over and over and over again about all these things. Paul wouldn't have warned us over and over again about all these things if it was just an automatic that when you're saved, you're going to just live this you know, wonderful, holy life. No, constantly exhorted, constantly telling us, do the right, avoid sin. So this, these things... They can happen to any of us. And these chapters in Peter are full of exhortations to live godly. Full of warnings against following the ways of the flesh. And these aren't there for no reason. The danger is real for all of us. And just like God judged angels and false prophets, you know what? He'll judge us if we disobey Him. We see God, we see God judging David. A man after God's own heart. God judged David. He'll judge you too. So you know what? I think we need to take Peter's advice and we should live godly and not allow this flesh to get what it wants because you know what? That'd be just like the pig going back to the wallowing, just like the dog going back to his vomit. We don't want to go back to that, folks. We, there's no reason for us to. And with God's help, we won't. So let's pray. Dear Lord, I pray this message was helped to everyone. I pray all of us will be people who who love government, Lord, and will uh, put government in our life to keep us from sin and from uh, doing the wicked that our flesh often wants to do. And I pray it will help uh, all of us to uh, not get cocky in our attitude, Lord, and think these things can't happen to us, uh, that we'll always know uh, we're capable of sinning. I pray the young people in this church who've been taught the way of righteousness you know, from the beginning, I pray that they won't fall for the lies of the devil in these things and the lies of their flesh and that they'll have the faith to just trust you and obey you and uh, stick with what they've been taught. And I pray you'll help. Uh, we're, and I'm thankful, Lord, for just all the people here, Lord, who uh, maybe they had a bad start, but, Lord, you gave them grace. And I pray, Lord, that uh, you'll continue to bless them in that area and help them to be uh, good examples and reminders to us and to, to never go to those things. And in your name we pray. Amen.